and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Amy, and I'm here with Brad. Good to be here, Amy. Today, we're continuing to look at the book of Acts and how God calls people to take the gospel forth into new areas. Last time, we had a very spirited discussion about Acts 13 and the special calling of Paul and Barnabas. That's right. You were asking me such sassy questions about the legitimacy of intentionally sending people, Amy. I would never sass you, Brad. I just like to make sure all the angles are considered. Well, I certainly appreciate these discussions. As do I. Well, today we're going to look at the all-important value of flexibility. Ah, yes. You can't take the gospel to the ends of the earth without some flexibility. That reminds me of a saying my wife and I had overseas. All right, let's hear it. We would say, surely doesn't live in Central Asia, which was in response to the many times we would think or say, well, surely that would never happen, or surely we won't have to deal with that. We soon found out that Shirley doesn't live in Central Asia because you never know what will happen out in the world. Oh, that is too funny. Yes, I don't think Shirley really lives anywhere in the world, does she? All of our recent cancellations and changed plans certainly attest to this. Yeah, you're right. Shirley, Shirley doesn't live anywhere in the world, but thankfully God does, and nothing takes him by surprise. Amen. And the Lord reminds us of our need to have a humble and dependent posture in James 4, 13 through 16, which says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. That certainly is convicting. Yes, our lives are in the Lord's hands, and we can trust Him completely. But that doesn't mean he always gives us a heads up about everything that's going to happen. No, he really doesn't. But as we trust him and depend on him and, of course, live out that value of flexibility, we get something better than knowing what is going to happen. We get God. We get a deeper relationship with him. And that's really the most valuable thing we could get. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, last time we ended with the church in Antioch, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, intentionally sending out Paul and Barnabas to do a special work of going to some new areas with the gospel. And others faithfully stayed behind to shepherd the church and obey God's calling on their lives. Yes, and as Paul and others go out, they run into all sorts of unexpected twists and turns. Indeed they do. So let's look at one of these experiences in Acts chapter 16. Here we read, starting in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down into Troas. I set it up again so you had to read all those hard words, didn't I? <laughs> yes, you seem to have a knack for that. Well, hey, you nailed it, and I'm, I'm helping you work on your flexibility, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> Well, here we have a very interesting account of Paul and his companions being prevented by the Holy Spirit from going and preaching in a certain area. And that seems unusual, doesn't it? Yes, it's probably a bit like your trip overseas to share the gospel with an unreached people group having to be canceled because of a pandemic. Yeah, there certainly are some parallels to our current dilemma, aren't there? (laughs) So what do we make of this, Brad? There were certainly many in this area who needed to hear the gospel. Why would God prevent them from going there? You're right. It's hard to understand things like this. And really, God alone knows exactly why Paul and his friends were prevented from going to these places. But we can be certain that God had a plan and a purpose. And we see this in the verses that follow. 
Would you mind reading those as well? I, I promise there aren't any tricky words in this section. Don't worry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul's group is prevented by the Lord to go to these two areas mentioned above. And then he has a dream of a man from Macedonia who isn't just asking them to come with the gospel. The text says he's begging them to come. And they interpret this as a calling from the Lord to go. I would say that's a pretty wise conclusion after having this vision. Yeah, I agree. This is clearly the Lord redirecting them. It would be interesting to discuss the role of dreams and visions in the Great Commission task, but I'm guessing that's probably too big of a topic to ca tackle in this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to explore that further, but I think we have, we'll have the opportunity in the future. For now, let's hone in on listening to the Lord's guidance and direction, whether it makes sense at the time or not. I think there's much we can learn in examining this issue further. Sounds good. Yes, we have to remember that these were real people, and they felt many of the same things we might feel in these circumstances. Sometimes when we read accounts like this in a summary format, it's easy to lose sight of what Paul and his companions might have been thinking and feeling leading up to this moment where they're redirected. Good point. Yes, I'm sure they wanted to go to these two other locations for a reason, and they had a desire to see people reached with the good news there. So I think it's reasonable to conclude that there would have been some disappointment about not being able to minister in these areas. Yes, and these disappointing and even sometimes confusing moments seem to be a common part of cross-cultural ministry efforts. They are indeed. It isn't uncommon to see doors closing or people having to relocate to another location for various reasons. I've been speaking recently with some friends overseas who have dealt with heartbreaking circumstances like this, and we just don't have enough perspective on the big picture to know what it all means or what God is up to. So it's it's a difficult road of trust and faith in these circumstances. Yes, and now nearly 2,000 years later, we can see and read all that the Lord does through this redirection. We're able to read about what happens in Philippi when Lydia uh, came to Christ and the jailer and his family also believing. We also have the perspective that this is the beginning of the gospel going into Europe. But at that time, all they knew was that they were being prevented from doing something that seemed like it made sense, taking the gospel to these two provinces where few, if any, people knew about Jesus. Right. And even with this clear calling from the Lord to go to Macedonia, the question still remains, why would God want the gospel to go to this one area but not these others? It really is an interesting dilemma. It seems that it must have been an issue of timing, because later we see many churches planted in Asia Minor by Paul and others. So the word going forth in Asia and Bithynia was only temporarily delayed by this redirection. Yes, and again, we have the benefit of seeing the story unfold later. I think of the city of Ephesus and the powerful and tumultuous ministry Paul has there. This was in the Roman province of Asia, where they were originally prevented from going. But we can only guess that there was an urgent or timely need in Macedonia that the Lord wanted them to meet first. Yes, the ministry they are able to have in Philippi alone affirms this. But, of course, that was only the beginning. We also have stories of many people coming to faith in Berea and Athens and Corinth. His ministry in this region did seem to be very timely, and there were many whose hearts were prepared to believe in Jesus. Of course, Paul also faces some opposition, from, primarily from Jews in these cities, but the first instance of opposition is from the owner of a slave girl in Philippi. Right. 
this this poor girl is possessed by an evil spirit, and her master takes advantage of this by selling her services as a fortune teller. She begins to follow around Paul and company, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Yes, I've always found this story interesting. I've wondered why an evil spirit would be proclaiming the truth about God. But the fact that Paul eventually becomes annoyed would indicate that this was proving to be a disruption rather than a benefit to their attempts to share the gospel. One of the commentaries I read stated that the demon shouting was probably being done in mockery. That's one possibility with the purpose of being a distraction. That makes sense. And when Paul decides to cast this demon out, trouble follows. The owner of the slave girl realizes that he's lost the source of income, and they take Paul and Silas before the local magistrates where they are severely punished. And this is probably another passage that it's really easy to gloss over and not think about what this would have been like in real life. The punishment they were given is being beaten with rods. And I did a little searching about this punishment, you know, what it was like. And here's what one commentary I read said. They would strip them and beat their backs, sides, and legs. The Jews would limit such a beating to 39 hits, but the Romans had no limit, and that's who would have been giving this beating. They beat them as long as they wanted. This is a severe physical trauma. The pain would have been very great. This was not a few bruises and scrapes, Amy, and many people died from these beatings. And we're talking about broken ribs and torn muscles, horrendous scars on their backs for the rest of their lives. This is the kind of physical trauma that, that has ongoing effects for the rest of your life. Maybe your body aches every time it's cold or ongoing back issues, something. And we learned in 2 Corinthians that this happened to Paul three times. Yes, and this is one of the first experiences that happens after this redirection from the Lord. This seems to be a pattern for Paul and others in Acts. Where the Lord leads them, they see many people saved and impacted for the gospel, and yet they also experience pain and suffering. Hmm. And I think this is an expectation that we can and should have as we obey the Lord and join Him in fulfilling the, the Great Commission. We see Him impacting others through our lives, but there will also be difficulties and a cost to us personally. It may or may not be on the scale of what Paul and Silas experience here, but discipleship is a costly endeavor. Yes. Well, Brad, if I can do my job here of looking at different things from different angles, we have to wonder why. If we are following the Lord and the Lord's direction, can we say that we should only experience victory and positive experiences? Why would the Lord lead people into difficult circumstances? Mm. Well, once again, great question for us all to consider. I think the book of 2 Corinthians contains some of the most clear explanation from Paul on why he believed that he suffered. In chapter 12, starting in verse 9, he says this, and he's describing his, his interaction with God about removing this thorn of flesh, probably. Many of us have heard that, that uh, passage or read that passage. But this is what he says. Uh, he writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and hardships in persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul believed that going through these difficulties caused greater dependence on the Lord and allowed his power, God's power, to be more powerfully at work and be demonstrated through his life. Paul also says in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So what do you think that means, Amy? (laughs) You're giving me the easy ones, huh? Well, I'm reminded of something that I read from John Piper about that verse, and it says this. Uh, the verse that he was referring to is Colossians 124. It says, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. And so here's what Piper said. So when Paul says, by my sufferings, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, what he means is that the one thing lacking in the sufferings of Christ is the offer of those sufferings in person to those for whom he died. So in essence, he is saying, all right, I will take the message of the cross where Christ suffered for lost people. And in my own missionary sacrifices, I will take that message to them and say, in me, behold the love of God as I sacrifice to come to you and preach to you and risk my life and imprisonment to preach the gospel. That's the thing that he provides that is lacking. Mm, I think that summarizes it well. Yes, I really like that quote. And on that thought-provoking note, we're just about out of time on this episode. Well, we'll have to keep unpacking these wonderful mysteries of faith in future episodes, Amy. Indeed we will. Well, we'll see you all again next time on the One Link Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.